Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Gross. It gives me great pleasure today to welcome to Viewpoints for the first time Richard George, who's the senior campaigner for Greenpeace Australia Pacific and Rainbow Warrior 3 has just been launched and that'll certainly be a substantial part of our interview. But firstly, welcome to Viewpoints, uh, Richard George. Thanks very much for having me, Andrew. My pleasure. Now, we just set off air. It's a, an auspicious occasion at the moment. We'll dive straight in. Rainbow Warrior 3. Um, tell us about it and how come we've got Rainbow Warrior 3. So, Rainbow, yeah, so Rainbow Warrior 3 is the flagship Greenpeace vessel. Um, it's the, the kind of the symbol, I think, of Greenpeace and all the work that we do to try and defend our oceans, defend our climate, uh, defend our forests. Um, and it's in it's in Australia at the moment. It's the first time since 2019 that the ship's been over here. Um, and we're in Western Australia because we are launching a campaign called Whales Not Woodside, mm-hmm. um, where we're fighting to defend um, WA's oceans, these beautiful kind of amazing environments like Ningaloo Reef, Scott Reef, um, from the fossil fuel company Woodside, which wants to drill for gas it's going to wreck our climate and do irreparable harm to whales and other marine life over here. So, yeah, the next six weeks we'll be sailing up the coast, meeting with community groups um, who are already doing a lot of this great work um, and trying to kind of work together to, uh, you know, to protect our oceans. Mm, and and we'll get into that in a moment. Now, as we said, it's uh, Rainbow Warrior 3. Um, it, it's had a chequered career, the, the, the entire piece. And in 1985, as you said, you got bombed by the French. Um, you must be pretty irrepressible to, uh, to survive all that and continue. You did retire the second one in 2011. You're back in, uh, back in vogue again. Um, what, just give us a little bit of the history for those people who are not familiar with the history of Greenpeace. Yeah, so I mean, Greenpeace came together in the 70s to um, some, some people you know, over in North America had this idea that you know if we if we get out to where things are happening, you know, where where in this case it was nuclear testing initially, um, it was happening in in the Pacific, far far away from from where most people um, were looking, and they were like, well, we'll go out there and we'll bear witness to this, and we'll get the footage, and we'll expose what's happening. And then they looked at whaling as well, um, which again, you know, happens far out to sea. Most of us never get a chance to, to see it. Um, and it's a pretty horrific thing, so it's probably a good thing that that's the case. But they jumped in a ship, sailed out, and documented what was going on. And what's really interesting is the next place they went, and the first time they'd done anything off the high seas, was Australia. And specifically the town of Albany, down in the southwest of WA, um, back in '77 when some of our guys turned up to join with a campaign to close the last commercial whaling operation in um, the English-speaking world. And in 78, it closed. The town of Albany you know, decided that it was going to put whaling behind it. And we've been here this weekend hearing from people you know, about what happened next. And it's really amazing. You know, The town is now is thriving as a whale-watching place. So instead of ha- hunting whales, people are coming from all over the world to look at them. And I think that's just a really good example of how, you know, people across the world, like communities right here, can make a change and really find a better future for themselves and their families. Interesting that Albany, uh, part of Australia, was the last one to close. I, I, I find that a little sort of embarrassing that we were the last, as good as it is. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not something that we talk about much. Um, but, you know, the, the difference here is amazing. You know, the we were hearing from from traditional owners, um, from people involved in the whaling industry, um, from people who now run whale watching vessels, 
about how the whales are now thriving because they're no longer being hunted. And instead of, you know, seeing them as something we can exploit, um, they're now something we can celebrate. Um, and I think that's a really, really kind of like powerful lesson about the way that we can solve a lot of these big environmental problems like climate change, like mm-hmm. ocean uh, harm to the oceans, if we just make the right choices and go with it. Now, 1985 was a signature point in, 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 in the history of Greenpeace. And it's amazing. One could have thought that, um, well, firstly, we were shocked that the French blew up Rainbow Warrior One, and that uh, it wasn't the end of Greenpeace. No, and that took place obviously just over the ditch in Auckland. Um, but I think the the outpouring of support that we had from all over the world meant that we were able to fund the Rainbow Warrior Two, um, and then in in turn the Rainbow Warrior Three. And instead of being knocked back, it's become this symbol of how you know people can stand together um, and change things. Um, and it's been fantastic over the over the weekend. You know, we had 400 people come through, you know, t- looking at the boat and talking, you know, from you know all across the the sort of the Albany area. Um, and the support's been fantastic. It's been really a really great start to a tour. You know, and we're, we're here for a while. We're going to be sailing north um, to document what the gas company Woodside is up to, um, and and sort of hear from local community campaigns. People are already fighting to uh, you know protect our oceans and climate from companies like Woodside. Um, and just get the message out. You know, the, the oceans around Australia are absolutely fantastic and they need to be protected. Now, now Woodside, as these uh, big mining companies uh, invariably say, uh, look, we understand your concerns and we've got all sorts of environmental protocols in place and what we're doing is providing a valuable diminishing resource uh, and we're doing minimal harm to the environment, so what's your problem? I'm sure you've heard that argument uh, many times over, Richard. Absolutely. Companies always say this and the reality is, you know, we do not need the gas that Woodside is going to drill for. Um, the almost all of it will be exported overseas um, to countries that would otherwise be moving towards renewables. So Woodside commissioned CSIRO to do a study on, you know, they wanted to say, look, we're, we're helping the world here. And when it didn't find it, it found the opposite, that, that Woodside would be, you know, that this big project would actually harm the shift away from fossil fuels. Uh, they buried the report um, until some journalists managed to dig it up. So there's, you know, absolutely no truth to the idea that, that, you know, companies like Woodside would like us to think that they are protecting the environment. The reality is this project is a really serious uh, harm to our climate. It's going to produce the equivalent of 12 years of Australia's um, greenhouse gas emissions. So it's 12 Australias um, contained in that gas. Um, It's also directly harmful to precious marine life uh, like whales, Mm. Um, whether that's from the seismic blasting as they look for the gas, um, the pipe laying through turtle habitat, um, the uh, the risk of an oil spill, uh, even though it's gas, there's, there is some oil in there, and, and uh, oil spill by their own figures could reach as far as Indonesian waters and impact up to 12 marine parks. So this is a huge project, and it's absolutely the wrong direction, particularly because Australia um, you know, has so much potential to be a renewable energy superpower. We should be putting all of that, all of that expertise all the engineering, all the skills we have in this country into driving a transition and securing as many green, clean jobs for people here as we can. Mm. Now, we've had a change of government recently and um, 
are there hopeful signs? Obviously, this is a political issue as much as anything, and um, we've uh, we've had a change of government. They claim to be quite different in their approach to this. Uh, what's your early conversations with them sounding like? I mean, look, I, I work for Greenpeace. Obviously, I think we can and should be doing more. Um, there's definitely been a shift in tone, and some of the changes they've made are notably different to what we had under the previous government. Um, I do think that there's a lot of um, potential to move faster. You know, we we who with the you know we we know that around the world countries are going to be moving away from fossil fuels and embracing renewables. And with the right support and the right investment, um, we could be at the forefront of that. You know, Australia's got half the world's lithium, which we need for making you know batteries for electric vehicles. Um, we have amazing expertise in packaging up resources and shipping them overseas. Um, we could be one of the world leaders in green steel. So steel made not with coking coal, um, but with hydrogen. We could be a leader in hydrogen, solar, all of these things. Um, but it'll take a, a lot more than we're, we're seeing at the moment to get us there. It's mm, a good point you make. We'll take a short break um, uh, at the moment. Richard, can you hold the line? Yeah, of course. Welcome right. back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosk. I'm in a little bit of discussion with Richard George, who's the senior campaigner at Greenpeace Australia Pacific, and we're talking about uh, Rainbow Warrior 3, which is out there, and their campaign for Greenpeace at the moment is Wales, not Woodside. Welcome back, Richard. Thanks very much. Now, Richard, um, just before the break, we were talking about how transitioning to renewables is really the way to go. Um, the new government's making some welcoming sounds and some action in that place. Um, is it a no-brainer that we should be moving faster and how will we be better off? Absolutely. So I think we know there's changes coming. When we look at what's happening with, uh, with countries all over the world, um, they are phasing out of coal um, and, and they need to phase out of gas. Um, there's been some analysis by some of the really leading quite conservative groups like the International Energy Association say that we cannot afford to open any new coal or gas or oil fields um, if we're going to tackle the climate crisis. And world leaders, like every world leader has signed up to that. So where is that energy going to come from? Well, it's going to come from renewables. It's going to come from hydrogen. We've got an opportunity here in Australia to jump on that and say, right, if we put all of the expertise that we've had from being a world leader in exporting energy and resources, we're going to put all that energy into renewables, into finding, you know, uh, mining lithium, creating green steel, all these sorts of things. We could be not just, you know, we could be driving that change and taking advantage of that change. Um, but it's got it's got to be planned, you know, the, the because the these big shifts, you know, they're either uncomfortable and rocky um, or they're well-managed. Um, and I think there's loads of potential to do this in a really clean, orderly transition um, that means we have more jobs and more security for people over here. It's a good point you make. Off air, we were talking about how they closed all the um, coal mines in, in particularly northern England uh, back in the, the Thatcher years, and many people are still unemployed from that. There's lessons to be learned from that. What are the lessons that we need to learn so that um, governments can confidently say to people, well, look, you know, we're transitioning and people are going to benefit. Uh, they're not going to suffer in the way that 
we've seen people suffer in the past with these great big transitions? I think you need to bring people with you. And you've got to sit down and talk to the people who are doing the jobs right now, um, not just the, the people in the boardrooms, but the people you know at the coalface or working in the gas fields, working offshore, and find out you know what they need, what their concerns are, and, and make sure we've got a plan that says that everyone is going to have a job that is at least as good as they currently have, um, that has the same security they currently have, um, that works with unions and other kind of uh, worker groups to make sure that the, you know, the, the thought has been put in, the training is there, the skills are there. Like these are really huge amounts of potential for high-skilled um, jobs, whether that's in engineering, sort of building offshore wind, um, whether it's in the sciences, coming up with ways to create green steel and, and green hydrogen from renewable energy. And building electric vehicles. Um, if we do it right, we can actually really gain from it because we know that there'll be an enormous market for clean energy um, and a clean transition globally. Um, if we do what Woodside wants, uh, which is to keep pumping out gas that will be increasingly unwanted, um, we risk the opposite, that we're left behind, that other countries take advantage of this, um, and we're then playing catch-up. Where are some of the countries you mentioned that there is this happening, and, and it is happening in Australia to some extent, where are the big advances being made at the moment uh, that, that can inspire us to follow up? I think all over the world. So I've spent a lot of time in the UK. Um, the UK is, uh, has closed, is closing and um, has a target for when its coal-fired power stations will close. Um, the uh, amount of renewables being built in the UK is going up. Germany's doing fantastically well for installing wind and solar. Um, even China, which is really at the forefront of creating new uh, new solar panels and rolling out huge amounts of renewable energy, it's still rolling out you know fossil fuels because it's an enormous country. It's doing a huge amount of everything. But I think we can learn from the positive examples. And you know, it's back when I, I've been campaigning for 20 years on energy. Um, and back then, you know, people would laugh at you if you said that renewables were going to be cheaper than fossil fuels. Mm. It's already in many places uh, far, far cheaper over the short term, the medium term and the long term to get renewables up and running. Because once you've built a wind turbine, the energy is free. It's the same with solar. If we can harness the enormous potential we've got in this country, um, we can really sort of like change the grid across to, um, you know, a cleaner, more sustainable uh, energy system without you know, significant disruption and with huge amounts of benefits for people. What do you say to the argument, which we sometimes see in sections of the influential media and some of the commentators, they say, um, well, let's have a look at how much Australia contributes to pollution in the atmosphere and it's whatever it is, some small little number. And they say, so if we go ahead and do all of this, change to renewables um, we're going to make an infinitesimally small change globally uh, but it's going to hurt our economy in the short term why should we do it i'm sure you've heard that argument trotted out on more than one occasion yeah absolutely and it, it's wrong on so many fronts so domestically australia is you know a, a fairly small contributor we are one of the world's largest exporters of gas and I think combined the largest exporter of coal and gas. So we're providing an enormous amount of the energy that the rest of the world uses to power its factories. And those factories produce the goods that we buy. 
So we're sending energy overseas and we're receiving goods coming in. And at the moment, because we're exporting fossil fuels, other countries have a, you know, a, we're contributing to the, the footprint of other countries um, because they're getting their energy from us. We could be supplying them with clean energy. So not only reducing our own um, contribution to climate, but also helping the rest of the world clean up its acts. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's also important for countries like Australia that are being badly affected by the climate crisis, whether that's the floods we've seen over the past year or so, bushfires a couple of years back, drought. We're on the front lines, and it's our responsibility to say, hey, we can make this shift. Um, and in doing so, I think really you know, provide a long-term secure future for Australian industries by being ahead of the game in terms of providing the clean technologies that people want and the clean resources that people need. It's mm, a good point you make. Getting back to Rainbow Warrior 3, tell us what it's going to be doing um, in the coming weeks, if not months. Yeah, so we're, we're sailing around Australia for eight weeks, um, six weeks in WA. We've just left Albany today, which is the, the town that Greenpeace comes from in Australia, um, and sailing up towards Fremantle. Uh, we'll be there for the Woodside AGM when they get all their shareholders together. Um, and That'll be fun. Some, That'll uh, be fun and games. <laughs> well, it, it will be because, you know, you'd think that a gas company um, making extraordinary profits uh, would be getting a standing ovation from their shareholders. But instead, we're seeing shareholders really angry at Woodside for failing to take the climate crisis seriously. Mm. And there'll be a number of really important votes at that meeting, which you know might not go Woodside's way because of their failure to, to tackle climate. Last year, they nearly lost the vote. 49% of shareholders voted against their climate plan. Uh, and that's unheard of mm. you know, to, to see a, a profitable company having uh, a shareholder revolt on that scale. So who knows? Uh, it'll be later this week. It's sort of very, uh, you know, on tenterhooks to find out what happens. Mm. Um, after that, we'll be sailing north, um, and along the way, we'll be documenting the beauty of WA's oceans. Uh, we've got scientists on board. Um, we're following the migration path of the endangered pygmy blue whale, um, which sails every year around this time, leaves Albany and sails north. Um, up to towards tropical waters, and then it'll come back down later in the year. And we'll be following in their path. We're really hoping we'll see some as we go. Um, and we'll soon arrive off the coast of the Pilbara, um, where Woodside plans to drill for gas, and then onto the Kimberley, where it's the same story. And we'll be meeting with community groups that are taking a stand against Woodside, um, hearing about how they're fighting against gas expansion on land and sea country, um, and documenting the beauty um, of this really unique part of the world. And then sailing around the top end, we'll be pulling into Cairns and the Great Barrier Reef um, and then heading off from there. Oh, wonderful. And if people want to keep in track, uh, keep track of that and uh, keep themselves informed, how would they do that, uh, Richard? Yeah, the best thing to do is to check us out on social media. Um, we're at, uh, on Facebook, Greenpeace Australia Pacific, and Instagram and all the other channels. Uh, you can also check out our website. Um, if you want to sign the petition, greenpeace.org.au forward slash woodside, um, there'll be tons of material coming out and loads of ways that people all over Australia and the world can take part in this tour. Mm. And they can check out the Viewpoints podcast, which goes all over the world too, and we'll be certainly uh, highlighting the great work that you're doing with uh, Greenpeace uh, and via Rainbow Warrior 3. Definitely do both of those things. Check out the podcast and follow us online. Absolutely. It's been a great pleasure chatting with you, Richard, and um, 
what you say makes an awful lot of sense and uh, if it makes an awful lot of sense all we need are people out there um, to take that up in positions of responsibility and power and um, I'm sure they will. Thanks for having me, Hendrik. That was Richard George, Senior Campaigner, Greenpeace, Australia Pacific. And uh, uh, Wales Not Woodside is the theme of the tour of uh, Rainbow Warrior 3 as it uh, leaves Albany on, a, on an eight-week tour around Australia.